restored a relationship, well, a broken relationship where we just haven't been connected with God. And we have a new opportunity to be reconnected with the Father because of Jesus. You know, he's the only one who can quench our thirst. He's the only one that can satisfy our hunger. He is worthy to follow. His words ignite us and empower us. You know, when Jesus came to this earth 2,000 years ago, he proclaimed an unbelievable message. He brought good news with him. He said, the kingdom of God is here. The reign in the, the rule of God has arrived, and you can live abundantly underneath the king. And now we have a great opportunity to make a kingdom difference right now. You know, he promised us that the Holy Spirit was going to come and indwell in every one of us. And that would be new, and it would be fresh, because, because God living in us would convict us and strengthen us and empower us and guide us and gift us. So that as we walked in life, it wasn't just trying to please God or living for God, but we would actually be living with God every single day. And we would listen to his prompts because God is working all around us, everywhere. And so instead of just trying to do ministry every once in a while, we would walk with God, live life with God. And we would ask the question, God, what are you doing in my home? What are you doing in my work? How can I join you? How can I be part of this situation? You know, I'd like to testify that living the abundant life with God is good. I know that the enemy tries to deceive and distort our perception of God from the very beginning. He desires to steal and to kill and to destroy. When Jesus said, I've come, well, not only to give life, but help you experience abundant living every single day. You know, yet there are times even though every generation has been self-focused and struggled with their relationship with God, there are times that God breaks through. And we respond to his love and his mercy and his grace. And all of a sudden, everything changes. Everything changes. You know, we're all on a journey. I'm a little ahead of some of you, but I'm also a little behind of some of you on this journey. You've been... (laughs) 
so far so good. (laughs) You've been family for 12 years. I've been your pastor, your friend, your co-worker. If you've been around for a while, you've heard me preach over 300 sermons. I've taught a multitude of classes. I've tweeted. I've written notes and emails and shepherd staffs. We've had phone conversations. We've experienced retreats and mission trips. I've prayed publicly and privately with you and for you. I've celebrated with you at weddings, cried with you at hospital beds and also in the service every once in a while. (laughs) I've mourned with you at cemeteries and I've had lots of pie with you. You know, we've gone through so many transitions, challenges, and have struggled well with life together. You know, I personally have learned to listen to God better Not only when he's shouting, but now when he whispers. You see, I see God differently than I did five years ago when we partnered with the chapel. And 12 years ago when I was the lead pastor here at Grace. And 38 years ago when I was a youth pastor at Emmanuel. And 56 years ago, when I came to faith in Jesus Christ. You see, everybody experiences God differently depending on their choices and their priorities. Today, I have an opportunity to share my heart with you. In reality, this is my last message. So it just can't be an ordinary message. It's got to be extraordinary. So I took my cue from Jesus. And Jesus was asked this. It's an amazing question. Hey, Jesus, out of all the stuff in the scriptures, and by the way, there are 613 commandments in the Old Testament. Out of all those commandments, can you narrow this down? Can you help us, Jesus, help us understand what's really important in this whole God thing? Help me. Help me understand it. This is what Jesus writes in Matthew chapter 22, starting at verse 35. One of them, an expert in the religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Jesus, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? 
Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. A second equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So Jesus said, hey, let me narrow it down for you. Love the Lord your God with everything that you have, all of your emotions, all of your strength. That's what's important. Well, for some of us, that's a little odd. How do you love God? I can love my dog. I can love my wife. I can love my kids. I can love my job. But how do I actually Love God. Well, you know, for centuries, this command was foundational for every Jewish family. Every Orthodox Jewish family would, would say this prayer. It was called the Shema, and it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And this is what Moses wrote. He said, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength. And you must commit yourself wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat these commands again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them on your hands. Wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house. And on your gates. You see, Jesus grew up in Galilee. And in that culture, that first century culture, the Galileans knew the scriptures. They were absolutely fluent. And sometimes, and probably the greatest rabbis even came from this region of Galilee. But when there was, um, well, a little boy or a little girl grew in this town, in Galilee, about five years old, they would make their way to the synagogue where a rabbi would begin to teach them the Torah. And what's so amazing about this is that this little guy or this little girl would, would go to the synagogue, and by the time they were about 12 years old, they would have the whole, the first five books of the Bible memorized. You say, whoa, <laughs> it's pretty impressive. How do they do that? Well, for one thing, not everybody had scripture. Another thing, there was no internet. Very few people had the scriptures available to them. So if they were going to know it, they needed to learn it early, and they needed to memorize it, and that was important. At about the age of 12, what would happen is that they'd have a decision. Most of the Jewish lads or lasses would decide to go into the trades. Some of them who, let's call this high school, would probably do some in the trades and still go to the synagogue where they learned about the prophets and, and more of the scriptures. And by the time they got to be about 20, they had to make a decision. They were either going to go into the trades full time or they would find a rabbi and they would hang out with a rabbi and learn from a rabbi. But again, this had to be the elite. It wasn't just everybody. And so these 20-year-olds would sit at the rabbi's feet and they would listen to the scripture and they'd continue to memorize. And then if they were really top dogs, 
about age 30, they themselves would become rabbis. This was the culture that Jesus grew up in. This was a culture that knew a lot about God. And yet when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest, the most important thing? Well, I want you to love the Lord your God with everything that you have. Most Jews at this time knew about God. I just don't think they knew God. And you know what? My guess is there's some folks sitting right here that know a lot about God. But they struggle with knowing God. I'm going to spend my last words as your pastor to encourage you to grow in the intimacy, in your intimacy with our God. Let's pray. Father, I pray at this moment that you would just speak, that, Lord, you would encourage us and strengthen us. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be so very active and that I wouldn't distract from your message at all. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we love greats in our country. We love great athletes. We love great musicians, artists, teachers, doctors, soldiers, well, even iPhoners. You didn't know that was a new thing. But, but there are some people that can get around an iPhone that's unbelievable. Now, most of us, when we get some new technology, we get anything, even handed us a basketball. We may have just watched a terrific game on TV. Or we may be watching a certain ball team and thinking again that, well, why does that guy swing at something that's in the dirt? <laughs> like, is there a problem here? You know, like anybody knows you shouldn't be doing that. Well, until you pick up a bat. And that ball looks so juicy. And you just kind of say, oh, this is easy. Swing. It should certainly go somewhere. And it doesn't. And you wonder. And the truth is that, you know, all those baseball players and basketball players, and you know, they do have some raw talent. But there is something about discipline that comes with it. You know, some of you younger folks may not understand a guy named Larry Bird. But I grew up in a Larry Bird kind of um, culture. And Larry Bird, if you would look at Larry Bird, now don't do it right now, but, but if you would look at him, he does not look like a basketball player. I, don't, I think his vertical was two and a half inches, you know? I, like, what is with this guy? And if you read a little bit about him, Larry Bird decided to be a good basketball player in high school. He would take 500 free throws before his first class every day in high school. Now, again, I figured that out because he didn't have probably people throwing him back the ball, but if that only took five seconds every free throw, that would have been 41 minutes a day shooting free throws. Some of you a little bit more um, knowledgeable about Stefan Curry. You, you just wonder about this guy, like, how does he do it? How can you have a 44% chance of making a three-pointer in the pros. 
Well, if you read his story, he takes 2,000 shots a week, 285 a day for a long time. So, well, Rick, that's his job. He should be doing that. Well, you know what? My guess is, even though you're a pro, you oftentimes lose some of these disciplines. We're often drawn to biblical heroes, but we may forget that intimacy is the secret of their success. We love reading about Moses, even love the title, Friend of God. No one else had that title. But we forget it took him 80 years of preparation before he had that unbelievable ministry and leadership opportunities. It'd be great to open up a Red Sea. It'd be great to be able to meet with God. But, but Moses, 40 years in Pharaoh's court, 40 years in a desert. My guess, learning who God was before we see the great leader. David has a title, Man After God's Own Heart. It's amazing how much time David spent in the sheep pens and in the deserts of Engedi before he literally took the throne and made a difference. What about Elijah? Elijah, an amazing, bold prophet. I mean, it's one of the greatest miracles in all the land ever when he called fire down from heaven to consume a sacrifice in 1 Kings. Well, we seem to forget that Elijah spent three years at a brook being fed by ravens before he got there. What about the disciples? Disciples were called rather late in life. They had already had jobs, but Jesus just said this, hey, I want you to come and I want you to follow me. I want you to live with me. I want you to do things with me. So for three years, they put all their aspirations aside and just spent time with Jesus. You know, this morning in the time that I have, I want to really just focus on two people and go into depth just a little bit. One would be Paul and one would be Mary. You're probably familiar with both of them. But let's start with Paul. The apostle Paul was well-educated he had power and position. The Jerusalem church loved this new rising star. They gave him all kinds of power and all kinds of authority. And the truth was is that he would be going to all these different places and trying to squash this new um, movement, this Jesus movement. Well, at about 32 years of age, he was on his way to Damascus. And you find this in Acts chapter 9. And he's going there literally to arrest Christians, kill Christians, and imprison Christians. And Jesus meets him on the road. There's this bright light, and he falls down, and, and his whole life changed after he met Jesus. But we know he was a Pharisee. We know he was a leader. We know he had all kinds of knowledge about God. He was zealous in a wrong way, but, but he knew the scriptures. He did. You would think right at that time, whoa, let's push this guy right into ministry. He can start training people. He can start writing some of the Bible. He can start planting some churches. Let's do it. 
The scriptures tell us that in spite of all this education and experience, he spent three years, the first three years after his conversion, in Arabia with God. That's all we know. We find that in Galatians chapter 1. Then if we follow his timeline, we see for the next five years, it's kind of quiet. We're not even sure what he is doing. About the ninth year after his conversion, he spends some time with Barnabas at a church in Syrian Antioch. And for a year, he services, or, or he serves them. It was at this time, about nine years after his conversion, that God says, I think you're ready. And he starts his first missionary trip when he's age 42. There were two other ones after this. He traveled close to 7,000 miles, building up the church, planting the church, encouraging believers. During that time, he was in prison at least three times. And near the end of his life, let's just say about 55-ish, okay, he probably lived to about 63-ish. How's that for being accurate, you know? Right in that, in that area, he was in prison, and he wrote a letter to the Philippians. Let's look at what he wrote. In Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 5, Paul writes this. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. In verse 7, I once thought these things were valuable. Let me just stop. That may not mean a whole lot to you. But what Paul's saying, you know what? I'm reflecting a little bit in this prison. And I want you to know what's really, really important. And on the outside, I had it together. I came from a great family. Whoa. I was a purebred. That doesn't mean much to us today, but it meant a whole lot back then. I was a Pharisee. I was part of the ruling class. I had great passion. In fact, people would look at me and say, whoa, you obey everything in that law, all 613 commandments. The guy had to be good. And he worked on it. And he's sitting there, and he's basically saying, I once thought this was important. In fact, I lived my life. That was absolutely critical for me. But now I consider all that, which I thought was important, worthless because of what Jesus has done. Yes, everything else, well, is worthless. When compared to the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Here's the apostle. He's basically saying, I had everything everybody wanted. But when I sat down, I saw it 
wasn't worth anything. The thing that's important is for me to know Jesus. Not know about Jesus. He had known about God, but know Jesus. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that in one way or the other, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. What's the most important thing to Paul? Well, not all the things that used to be. In fact, Paul right here, he actually, in our English translations, you've, you've seen sometimes it would be translated dung or sometimes it would be translated garbage. But Paul says at the end of verse 8, for this sake I've discarded everything else, counted it all as literally dung. It's a very vulgar term. In fact, in some ways, I just thought maybe we should have a little illustration. Okay. I don't know if any of you can see this. But you know what Paul really says? He says, all the things that were so very, 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 very important to me. I'm at the end of my life right now. And none of those things really matter. In fact, I treat it kind of like horse poop. That's what I treat it as. And you go like, well, this is valuable, isn't it, Rick? I I don't think so. I I never walked in a Yankee candle once and saw manure as as kind of like, oh, let's light my house up with this. This is awesome. You know? None of us. Maybe for fertilizer, I guess. Maybe that would be it. But that's what Paul said. He said, all the things that are important. And it's just got me thinking a little bit. What are the things that are so important to me that I spend my time doing that's so very, very, very important? When I get near the end of my life, which I I might be there, I'm going to look back and say, wow. Is it that? Is it that? You know, how do we love God with all of our heart? How do we deepen our relationship? How do we become more intimate? Well, I got to tell you this. You got to spend time with God. There is no shortcut. There isn't. We will all have regrets in life, how we spend our time. But you will never regret spending time with God. You see, loving God with all of your heart is a choice. One of my favorite stories in all the scripture is, well, looking at Mary who made the right choice. If you turn to Luke chapter 10, verse 38, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he had taught. 
But Martha was distracted by a big dinner. She was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset about all these details. There's only one thing worth worried or worth being concerned about, and Mary has discovered it. You know, if you really look at this text, Martha was doing nothing wrong. Martha, in fact, was honoring Jesus. Jesus was a very, very special prophet, rabbi, friend. And when someone would come to your house, you would absolutely make a super-duper wonderful Thanksgiving-type meal. You wanted to honor this guy. Well, as soon as Jesus walked in the room, Martha, well, was busy and working, and Mary just went and sat at his feet. <laughs> it was just a simple comment. You know what? You're doing nothing wrong, Martha, but I want you to know that Mary discovered something different, and that is time with me is really important. I want you to turn your Bibles, if you would, over to Luke chapter 7. Because I think this is a really important text to understand, Luke chapter 10. Almost every Bible commentary will say the lady, although she's not named in Luke chapter 7, is this Mary. And again, I think you've seen the story, but let me give you just a quick overview. Jesus is having, well, uh, a dinner with some religious people. And this lady comes barging into the house. And, well, it's a lady that has a reputation. It's a lady that, that doesn't have a good reputation. But she's crying and weeping, and she comes to Jesus. She falls down, and her tears are just falling on his feet. And she is wiping his feet with hair, with her hair. And then all of a sudden, she just starts anointing, pouring perfume all over Jesus at his feet. And the religious around were indignant. They looked at this and said, what is going on? Don't you know what kind of woman this is? Well, the truth was, yeah, Jesus did know what kind of woman this was. But he had met her earlier, and her life was different. She was amazed by his grace she was redeemed and restored, and she was extravagant with her love. She couldn't even stop. All she wanted to do was say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I met you. My life is new. My life is different. That's why a few chapters later, when Jesus comes walking in the room, Mary was overwhelmed again. So grateful because of what Christ had done for her. Mary experienced God's grace and just wanted to spend time with him, period. You know, I think sometimes we get too busy and don't make time with God a priority because we honestly don't understand all that God has done for you and for me. Well, as I wrap this up, some of you may be saying, Rick, what is the big deal? I love the Lord my God with all of my heart, with all my soul. I, I do that. I, I'm there. But I just, I just have to ask you a question. 
Is it true? Is it true? How do you spend your time? How do you spend your talents? How do you spend your money? Has the culture or the urgent taken the place of the important? I think the number one thing that I see as a shepherd, as a pastor, is how busy our sheep are. They are. They're being driven by things that are really good, just like Mary. Understanding this is really important to make a really good meal. And Jesus just looked at Mary and says, you made the wrong choice. That's all. You did. You know, school isn't that important. No, you know, don't, don't email me yet. You know, I, I, but in light of knowing Jesus, what about, well, violin lessons? I'm sorry, there's only a few with violin lessons here, but I'm really not trying to pick on you. What about soccer? What about baseball? What about basketball? You say, oh, Rick, Rick, oh, hold it, man. I, I mean, you know, I can fit this all in. You know, very few of us enjoy Sabbaths, days of rest, where we focus and replenish. We don't hear from God because, well, we stick a tape in, <laughs> excuse me, CD, um, something in my car. You know, and, and, and hey, I'll, I'll get a little bit of the word as I drive here. I'll hear this podcast. I'll go in this area. But we're oftentimes not quiet enough to listen to God. We want to join God in his mission. But we're in such a hurry, we never know what his mission is. And so we go to bed every single night tired, exhausted. You know, one of the things, there's a downside about not loving God with all your heart. The downside is this, is that you end up in your pastor's office pouring your heart out because your life has fallen apart. Your marriage is not working. Your job has been destroyed. You're going through tough times. And, and guys, we all do that. But there's no resource. There's no foundation. You almost come into the office hoping like I'm a doctor that's going to give you some medicine so you can go out and absolutely function well. You know, there's crisis in every one of our lives. I get that. But it's really different if you've been walking with God intimately for 30 years when crisis comes. Or you've been too busy for 30 years and crisis comes. You know about God. You know he's a good, good father. You know all the right things. Hey, would you pray for me? Would you help me? Would you, would you? And that's part of what the body does. But as I look at this, I want to beg you and plead with you. Spend time with our God. Nurture that relationship. Many of you guys know that my life's verse is Acts 20, 24. This is a passage um, 
that on his way back from his third missionary journey, Paul stopped at a place called Miletus. And he called the Ephesian elders together. The Ephesians were the, the, the church that he was the closest to. He spent over two years there. And on his way back, he was hoping to get to Jerusalem by the Passover. He said, hey, can we meet? And Paul pours out his heart in chapter 20. And with his last words, he says this, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task. The Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying of God's amazing grace. Paul had spent so much time with the Lord. He said, you know, my selfish desires aren't important anymore. They're just not. What I want to do is, is finish what you've given me to do, God. I want to walk with you. I want to listen to you. I want to respond to you. I want to make a kingdom impact. I want to be able to share with everybody I possibly can how amazing your grace is, God. I was dead. Now I'm alive. I had no reason to live. Now I have every day. I have an amazing future. I'm going to spend eternity with you, God. Life isn't about this. It's not. Father, I thank you. Thank you for all that you've done and ask you, God, that you would just help us understand how important a relationship with you is. You know, as a postscript, I'd like to say this before I invite my wife up to share just a few things. I think you are going to do amazingly well as a campus. I do think so many of you love the Lord your God and are walking with him. I think some of you are too busy. But the truth is we have some amazing leaders here at our campus. And we have an amazing central team that are going to support you as we move forward. You know, I'd like to add one more thing. And that is not only... Love God, but love your church. Love his bride. You know, this is not about a leader leaving. And so many of you have written so many wonderful things and shared so many wonderful things. Um, I'm convinced this is God's church. This is not Rick's church. Not at all. And that God's going to do some amazing things as we walk together. But you do need to know that there's probably going to be some changes. There's going to be a different personality here someday. There's going to be a different emphasis. Not anything unbiblical or wrong, but, but there's just some things that happen when a leader changes. 
And my encouragement to you is to stay the course. Pray for your new leader, your new worship leader, whoever that is, your new campus pastor as they come. And, and I think God's going to do some amazing things in this campus through his people. Sharon, would you come on up and, and share? He didn't tell me that he really bought it. <laughs> um, I also wanted to share my heart with all of you before we move on to the next chapter in our ministry lives. Um, these last six weeks have felt very similar to when we were preparing to send our kids off to college. The anticipation was a killer, but... When we drove each of them to Minnesota, we said goodbye, we had a good cry, and by God's grace, we were able to move on to the next season of life. And these, these weeks have been truly very emotional for me and for Rick. I thank you for all who are praying for me not to cry here because unlike Rick, I can't stop and start and stop and start. I, I just... It's not my MO, and it's very hard for me once my tears start. You are family to us. And like taking our kids to college, this is very difficult to leave, to leave you. We love you deeply, and we will miss you. We have walked through a lot of life together these past 12 years, and some of you for many more years. Some of you, it's been 20-plus years. And we've experienced great times, and we've experienced very difficult times together. But we stayed the course because we're family. And we are very confident that God has orchestrated all of this so we are excited to see what he's going to do in us and through us at Crosspoint. And we are also very excited for you and to see what God is going to do here at Palatine. We look forward to seeing and hearing about what's happening. And we know we will hear about it because not only do we have so many friends and because you are family, well, we also have a daughter and son-in-law and grandkids here. <laughs> so I'm sure they will fill us in all the time. Rick and I have walked through a lot of change in our lives. And we know that's when we hang on to the Lord and depend on him the most. So as hard as this is right now for many of us, I know some of you are relatively new and you think, what is going on here? But you'll... You'll find out soon. <laughs> we can be confident that God will take care of all of us because that's what he promises to do. And we have to keep claiming that promise. And I'd like to leave you with a few verses that have ministered to me this year and have helped me keep perspective. And they're found in 1 Thessalonians 5. And it's kind of cool how... Uh, 
the women here, some of the women have been studying First Thessalonians, and we've, we're only through chapter 3, but wait till you get to 5. <laughs> Paul's, uh, these are a few verses, Paul's final advice to the church in Thessalonica. Verse 16, always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. And I love how patient and good and faithful that God is and that he continues to grow us and refine us throughout our lives. I'm so thankful for that grace, and I understand it more today than I ever have. And then a few verses in his final greetings to the church in Thessalonica. In verse 23, Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen, for he who calls you is faithful. Dear brothers and sisters, pray for us. We are still family, and we ask you to continue praying to pray for us as we will for you. And he ends verse 28. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So I thank you so much for being here. Even people, um, even kids, kids, I know you're not kids. <laughs> Older kids who've been in our youth ministry are here sharing this time with us. Thank you for everyone who has put together this luncheon and who has come to celebrate with us, to be with us on our last day as Rick is the campus pastor at Palatine. Um, we just thank you for your love and your support and your prayers. Let's Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, again, we just are so grateful that you're our God. We love you and desire deeply just to hear your voice as we walk in our journey. Would we continue to align ourselves with you, hear your voice, and respond quickly? And may your kingdom come, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.